Blog Talk Radio. again today. Today we will be continuing on our adventures of who is doing what to create a better world. And in the meantime, please visit us at our website, www.abetterworld.tv, to get a greater hand and sense of what we're doing at A Better World to bring about exactly that kind of world that is populated with the kinds of humane values, spiritual values, that really rest so dear in all of our hearts. And yet when we turn around and look around the world, we see a world that seems that is largely run by people that are not embodying these values. Yet deeply we know really most people, if not all, truly, just from the very definition of being human, have a sense of understanding, compassion, empathy, and sympathy for each other and each other's suffering and plight. So it's with uh, great pleasure that I will be having Cindy Wigglesworth, who is the author of the book SQ21, The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence, on the show with me today to talk about this whole notion of spiritual intelligence We, of course, have the old IQ, intellectual intelligence, if you will, and through the work, uh, pioneering work of Daniel Goldman and others, his partner and others, uh, was the development of an idea that really became mainstream of emotional intelligence. Now with Cindy Wigglesworth's ideas uh, put forth in this book that you should really pick up, I've been enjoying it immensely, SQ21, the 21 skills of spiritual intelligence, uh, really helps to advance the game and forward the story that uh, we really want to tell of a humanity that is truly spiritually evolved, intelligent, and interestingly, measurably so. Cindy is the president and founder of Deep Change, Inc., a company dedicated to helping individuals and organizations integrate and access their deep intelligence. With 20 years of experience in human resource management, she's been running her own business since 2000. She's the creator of SQ21 Spiritual Intelligence Assessment Instrument, the first ever competency-based spiritual intelligence assessment instrument. 
She's been a guest on the Oprah Winfrey Show, PBS, and in addition to many numerous uh, radio appearances, including now, A Better World. So, Cindy, I'm so glad to have you on today. Thanks, Mitchell. It's great to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's just uh, open up also with a quote of uh, just one of my favorite thinkers, Ken Wilber, who uh, said of your work, Cindy Wigglesworth has devised an assessment that is an excellent overview of the process of general spiritual intelligence itself, including developmental variables, and thus one I can highly recommend. And for that to come from Ken Wilber, voila, <laughs> something else. That's something. Yeah, it was well, wonderful Cindy, of him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'm enjoying it so much. It's taking, uh, putting your arms around such a large idea mm-hmm. and um, winnowing it down to a place of and I don't know if down is the right direction, maybe winnowing up <laughs> in a way to uh, actually offer a form of measurement for a series of skills that you identify, of course, that I, I want to hear you speak about here, mm-hmm. uh, what we would call spiritual intelligence. And I'm utterly fascinated, having been myself um, on a spiritual path, which I think is just our life path, um, for many years, but having been involved in different um, wisdom traditions, I should say. Mm-hmm. And um, one always scratches one's head and says, how am I doing? <laughs> you know? yes. Where am I going? How am I doing? And by what measure can I get a sense of where I am in the larger picture? One, relative to myself and where I come from, as well as, let's be honest, we want to have some sense of where we stand in the larger picture of humanity. So I'd love to hear you, you know, lay out your thoughts about this and what you've done um, over these last number of years. Yes. So there are very large questions that come into play when you begin your spiritual journey in earnest. And one of them, there's many, but one of them is, where do I even start? And for most of us, I think we stumble into a connection with a workshop or a book or a particular denomination or a teacher. And Mm -hmm. then when we feel like, okay, this isn't working or I've got what that teacher has to offer, but this isn't satisfying me, there's something else or some new problem occurs in our lives and it's clear there's something else we need to learn, you know, we then go on a search for the next book, the next workshop, the next teacher. And I thought, this just feels like chaos. (laughs) And and, and sure, I believe in universal accidents. I think synchronicities are fabulous and the right book falls (laughs) into your hand at the right moment. Um, And wouldn't it be nice if we had a little bit better road map to the process so that, you know, we don't know how many years we're granted in these bodies. I would like to be able to focus. And if what I really need to work on right now in some way of looking at a systemized analysis of my own growth and development, if what is really up for me right now is that I need to work on forgiveness, wouldn't it be great to have that focus and then go out and research the available forgiveness technologies and say, okay, I'm going to work with Byron Katie's work, for example, because Mm -hmm. that's really appealing to me. Mm -hmm. One of the benefits of this 
structure that I've been creating is that it does deliver for people a method by which they can self-assess answering these questions, get the report back, and the report is held lightly. You know, we always just say it's how you answered these questions on a given day, but based on how you answered the questions, certain patterns often emerge for people where, where they'll notice that the same thing keeps coming up around, I really need to identify my core values and start living according to that. Or it's clear that the issue around listening has come up three different times in this report. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Maybe there's something about humility that I need to work on here. <laughs> and, and how much time might we save and how much more um, progress might we make if we could focus a little better? So that is one of the reasons why this system, I think, is becoming popular fairly quickly. And a lot of people are coming to me for training in this who do spiritual direction work or are ministers or clergy in other faiths because it creates a structure where there hasn't really been a structure. So in a sense, just to kind of uh, look from the larger picture here, Mm -hmm. the measure that you're offering, you make the point in the book that mm-hmm. is not a biological kind of measure like an EEG or an EKG, like a, or a blood some of the pressure work that does. We're, yeah. Right, we're not looking at brain coherence. We're not looking at physiological measures. But we're looking essentially at as a self-assessment tool, which mm-hmm. ultimately then is a subjective measure, mm-hmm. which has within it the ability, to, of course, to identify patterns like you were just saying. Yes, yeah, so it's a psychological type of assessment. It is psychometrically yeah. sound, which means I've hired PhDs from the beginning to make yeah. sure that this is every bit as solid as emotional intelligence or any of the other intelligence kinds of assessments, none sure. of which are perfect, but all of which can be helpful if used in the right way. So yeah. I think it's an incredibly helpful way that we can reflect on ourselves and by answering these questions this whole theory has been constructed not just at random but to distinguish what makes someone like the Dalai Lama or Gandhi different from someone who's just a high EQ person, high emotional intelligence person. So as this research has been unfolding we found a whole lot of interesting correlations around adult development in particular, which is what caught Ken Wilber's eye, that -hmm. there seems to be something special about SQ that is highly correlated to higher stages of adult development, which I think is often what we're pointing towards when we point towards exemplary human beings. And we say, you know, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, people like that who inspire us, they're more than just good at interpersonal skills, which is the EQ stuff. So what is that? And this is an attempt to describe that so that we can do research with it and provide signposts for people around their own journey. Well, yes, I, I appreciate that. I, I'm uh, reminded of the famous old um, Zen adage, which says, uh, if you want to know how enlightened the Zen master is, ask his wife. <laughs> yes, or as uh, many people say, if you think you're enlightened, go home for the holidays. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we'll give it to you. I, I, as a matter of fact, because of these jokes <laughs> that uh, cut to the cha- that cut to the core, um, I have uh, 
in my wizened age at this point, have almost abandoned the notion of enlightenment as it's been classically defined. Not completely, but mm-hmm. I've really come to emphasize the notion of maturity. And yeah, I love course, that. You know, of emotional yeah. maturity. And as a psychotherapist, I'm working with people all the time. And I really tune in. And, of course, I'm spiritually oriented. It would right. be a fair thing to say. I really think emotional mm-hmm. and psychological maturity is the basis of a sound, harmonious society. And, Amen. Okay, right. And whatever we may be uh, graced with in terms of what we refer to as enlightenment, God bless. <laughs> Let it come. Yes. And yes. Uh, don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, and I, I completely agree. The word enlightenment is quite problematic for me because it has a static feeling to it. And yes. there's a sense of having achieved it. And exactly. I just, I don't perceive that. Now, I'm not saying that my perceptions are automatically correct, but my perceptions are like yours. You can have yes. Satori awakening moments. You can have transcendent experiences that Indeed. shatter your existing sense of reality and expand Definitely. you and create entirely new ways of, you know, thinking about reality. And yes. you can immediately revert to being a jerk. So, exactly. <laughs> you know, that exactly. alone is not enough. Exactly. The state experience is not Therefore, sufficient. That's yeah. right. What does it all mean? What does it all add up to? And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, to whatever extent, we're able to be conscious. And I very much appreciate uh, the injection of the word by one of my teachers, teacher of dance, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff, who speaks about conscientiousness, mm-hmm. that we here in the new age these days, the 21st century, um, speak so much about consciousness. But mm-hmm. how many people talk about conscience? Yes, yes. It's not There's... a popular notion. There is a sense of being responsible for self and responsible for consequence of our choices that I think is a very healthy piece of what you're bringing into this conversation. It's not about the consciousness you achieve meditating on a cushion alone in the wilderness. Anybody can love the world when they're alone in the wilderness. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, on a mountaintop, right. (laughs) Or on a mountaintop or in a cave. But, you know, can you show up? with empathy, with compassion, with wisdom, can you stay calm in the face of crazy in the midst of a very complex global world where we have all these conflicting value systems and very polarized politics? Can can you go home for Christmas and not want to kill exactly. somebody? And keep you know? your cool. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, so, you know, I... I want to bring something up. I, I, you're, you're totally on point here, Cindy, and I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, you're, you raised a point in the book that I also very much appreciated, that we're not talking about in the work you're uh, proposing here and implementing mm-hmm. simply an inhibition of a reaction what we refer to in general as our reactivity, which, of course, is pre-programmed, if you will, prenatally and postnatally programmed. Um, And, of course, a lot of inner work involves the breathing through, if you will, and the bearing witness to that reactivity. But even going a next step, which I very much wanted to bring up here, 
of actually changing the reaction. Yes, yes. And in Up, that, upgrading that is upgrading it. Upgrading it to a reaction, which my sort of shorthand for is what would love do, which yeah. probably brings us to where we should define what does it mean to behave with spiritual intelligence. You want me exactly. to exactly that would that? be a beautiful segue to lay out, if you would, the twenty-one points, the skill sets. Right. Well, the overall definition. Let me just start with like the goal of spiritual intelligence. When I was beginning to describe this, I was looking at the people who are held up pretty much, you know, you get thousands of people together, and I have done this now, and ask them, who do you admire as spiritual exemplars? You get the same kinds of people being named again and again, Mother Teresa, Mm -hmm. Jesus, Mohammed, Buddha, the Dalai Lama, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, and so on. And then you say, what are the character traits that cause you to admire these people? And you get similar traits. They're Even kind. more important, by the way. Yes, because... Than what, who these what, people are themselves. Yes, because what I think, the fact that we universally admire these people, or nearly universally admire these mm-hmm. people, is that yeah. it's our golden shadow pointing us towards our highest potential. Oh, beautiful. We are projecting upon our heroes the character traits we're not yet ready to step into, but mm-hmm. that we might in some part of us be aspiring to, and that's why we find these people attractive. So in my language, this is our higher self pointing the way to true north. These are the characteristics you're most admiring. These are the characteristics that you have the potential to live in the direction of. So we list these characteristics, and the kinds of words that come up are things like authentic and compassionate and kind and peaceful, nonviolent, wise, you know, and they go on and on, inspiring, visionary, courageous, you know, tremendous stamina to stand for what they believe in. And then I will say to people, would you like to see a little bit more of these characteristics in your own life, personally, in your workplace, in your family, in your society? Not had anybody yet say no. (laughs) Don't want to see these. So Mm -hmm. what I say is, you know, collectively, we get a group of people in a room and we have this conversation. We can point towards a spiritually intelligent person. We can say these kinds of people have this thing that we admire. And these are the kinds of character traits that we see as being spiritually intelligent. How do we get there and how do we define there? Where are we going? So what is the outcome? How do we get there from here? Exactly. And so the the definition I came up with of the goal is Mm -hmm. that spiritual intelligence is the ability to behave with love. That's where I started. Because Mm -hmm. all of these people, that seemed to be the most important thing people said about them, is, is that they were just so present with love and they were peaceful. So the ability to behave with love and peace, that was sort of the starting point. But the word love in English is a very vague and imprecise word. Generic. Very generic and used for all kinds of things, from erotic and passionate and romantic love to love we have for our children to the love we feel for God and all of creation to I love Mm -hmm. pizza, you know? Exactly. And I love pizza (laughs) is not the kind of love we're talking about. (laughs) So I didn't want to use agape and eros and philia because that's very elitist and it leaves people cold. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was looking for good English, simple words that I could use that would explain it. You know, Woody Allen, I don't know if you consulted Mm -hmm. Woody Allen on this, but he came up with a few words in Annie Hall describing his feelings about uh, Diane Keaton. Annie Hall. He says, 
I, the word to say I love you isn't enough, he said. He said, I love you. I love you. I... <laughs> <laughs> expanded the vowel. <laughs> oh, that's priceless. Anyway, please go on. Yes. So I began a many months search for better definitions of love and um, eventually landed on a definition or a metaphor that comes from the Eastern traditions. It's so old, I can't find a source for it. It's just been Mm. floating around forever. But it says, love is a bird with two wings. One wing is compassion. The other wing is wisdom. If either wing is broken, the bird cannot fly. Mm. And to this day, it gives me goosebumps. I've got them again. When I say that parable, that metaphor, it's like, ah, that's it, that's Mm. it. Because compassion is the best of the heart, and wisdom is the best of our mind. And if we don't bring both faculties, we can actually do unintended harm. We can Mm -hmm. be coming from our heart center, all kind and compassionate, but do enabling things when harder things are called for. Mm -hmm. We can come from Uh, wisdom and maybe set ferocious boundaries where boundaries need to be set. But a boundary that's set without care and love being behind it, that sort of energy of compassion, people receive it differently. Same action, received differently. So it just felt profoundly true and simple, elegant and beautiful. And I said, that's how I'm going to define spiritual intelligence. It's the ability to behave with love. It's the ability to behave with wisdom and compassion while maintaining inner and outer peace, regardless of what's going on, regardless of the circumstances. So that's where the definition of the goal came from. And then I said about, okay, great. I How think it's inclusive enough. It's not. It's not. You know, I'm. If I, I'm not to challenge what you said, because I, I think it's mm-hmm. utterly beautiful and very mm-hmm. embracing. Mm-hmm. However, I'm. I'm just thinking of the love that we could have for our spouse mm-hmm. or for someone of the opposite sex with whom, or, or the same sex, just passionate love, love erotic love. Uh, there's right there's that dimension mm-hmm. and then there's the sort of almost like uh, this beaming love of humanity for humanity when right. we see great um feats of human activity like sports events or dance or theater or musical performances there's this upliftment that occurs or right. in the contemplation of nature there is this uh a whirlwind, if you will, of biochemical activity, I'm sure, and hormonal oh, yeah. activity happening yeah. inside us that uh, gives us this feeling of oneness that is mm-hmm. just awesome, you know. Yeah. So, well, And as you I know, understand. in the 21 skills, that's one of the 21 skills, is the ability to experience transcendent oneness. Got it. So that is Let a state interior experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what you're describing is very empowering and reinforcing of our ability to show up daily with compassion and wisdom in the middle of crazy traffic jams, in the middle of holiday shopping, in the middle of whatever we're dealing with. And so having those state experiences of how perfect and amazing the world is, those roomy poetry moments, I just love roomy, It's profoundly nourishing, and yet I think people can confuse the state experience 
with how they behave. It comes back to the are you enlightened. You know, you can have moments yes, of enlightenment, yes. but are you showing up as a jerk? And so how do I make sure I'm not showing up as a jerk? It's really clear that the emotional intelligence skills that Goldman and Boyatzis have outlined for us are really valuable mm-hmm. and really em- empathy as one of the skills is a precursor to compassion, which is a spiritual intelligence skill. Indeed. So these two sets of intelligences are a beautiful roadmap when you put them together. And when I work with executives, which I do a lot, I like to point out that IQ alone is not going to get you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. You're going to need all of these intelligences, taking care of your body, physical intelligence, IQ, your technical skill set and your logic, but also EQ, your interpersonal skills, and SQ, your ability to live from a noble purpose, to live according to your values, to live from your higher self instead of from your contracted egoic self. And when you can get to that place where you're living from your higher self instead of your contracted self, these possibilities flower around compassion and wisdom and peace, which is the goal. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. And truly, no, it is very uh, widely thought through, and I really appreciate it because it's um, it's a large terrain. Mm-hmm. It's a very large terrain, and to uh, distinguish between these elements is a work in itself, and I, you and I both know from prior conversations how we both feel about the upgrading, you could say, the spiritualizing of the business world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's certainly not only that, it's, but that is a, a key place for, I believe, I think we both do, world transformation. Absolutely. Because the, the, the dangers that we are facing with climate change and global warming, uh, with many different environmental uh, tragedies uh, and all that those lead to, to our political upheavals, the mismanagement of money on the collective levels and federal governments, etc., ours and others across the planet, really come back down to uh, the business of business and who's doing what and who's making what decisions, which will be for the collective good or for collective harm and the good seeming for just a few. So I very so much appreciate the trajectory. How would you like to educate us now regarding the work you've done and the development of those skill sets? Well, I think what is um, important for people to know about the 21 skills is you don't have to develop all of them. It seems a bit overwhelming. The yeah. goal with the or certainly 21, at once. No, certainly not at <laughs> don't once. Don't do it at once. <laughs> certainly not at once. And certainly maybe not even all of them. There are certain yeah. skills, and we don't have enough research yet to say, you know, like you have to get at least to level two on this skill and at least to level four on that one. But we we do have certain skills that people may not like and i i have been discovering in my work that there seems to be a typology around mysticism where some people are extremely attracted to and nourished by the mystical parts of the spiritual journey and mm-hmm. other people are extremely suspicious of it mm. and and so what i find is there's a couple of skills one around the interconnectedness of all life and one around the experience of transcendent oneness 
that may create a little bit of an allergic response to the, in the people who are suspicious of the mystical path as being a magical path, you know, because there's mm-hmm. a distinction there, but they may not be making that distinction. They may be just blanket suspicious. Maybe they've yeah. never had those moments of transcendent connection. Since they have no felt embodied experience of it, they're suspicious of it. But I always say, look, there's 21 skills, and there's an awful lot of work to do. You can completely (laughs) ignore those. (laughs) Pick a few others. It's a menu. (laughs) Yeah, there's 21 of them. Like, let's talk about your core values. How clear are you on your core values? Have you rank ordered them? How clear are you on your higher purpose in life? How clear are you when your ego is speaking versus when your higher self is speaking? These are more foundational skills anyway they're skills that I can take into any coaching engagement, and we can start from that. And for the people for whom the mystical state is profoundly nourishing, they feel so validated that it appears in the 21 skills. Mm. So this is a yes. both-and approach. You can yes, have like someone that. who does not like that, and they can still work with the model and get a lot of value. And you can have people who are spiritual but not religious, highly mystical, find this very nourishing, and you can find people who are deeply religious, very attached to their faith traditions, and we have a path for them as well because they this is not about beliefs. This is about skills. And yes. so they can take the report and say, okay, I need to work on forgiveness. This is a theme for me. What would be a Christian or a Jewish or a Hindu or whatever approach to this, if they're deeply ingrained in their faith tradition and want to draw strength from it, fabulous. You know, let's talk about how you can do that. Uh, just to backtrack for one moment, the people mm-hmm. that may have uh, a distinct reaction to the idea of the mystical path, mm-hmm. uh, I would be you know, called to think about human typology yes. as a part of their headset. Yes. In other words, it could be that they are, you, if you use astrological language, mm-hmm. they might be a certain sign that does not have an affinity toward what we would refer to as the mystical. Yes, and it could be Enneagram, it could be Myers-Briggs, but, you know, whichever typology systems you like, there do seem to be certain people more wired for mysticism and certain people more adverse to it, just like we have left-handed and right-handed people. And And we don't have have to make anyone wrong about it. Not at all, and we have, and this is where the physiological measurements could be interesting. Perhaps, I'm myself interested in the idea that there could be a correlation between um, a certain, let's call it, spiritual maturity, mm-hmm. intelligence and maturity, and a certain kind of biochemical hormonal profile as well as integration of the two hemispheres of the brain. So you've got the right brain and left brain both more coherently activated. I suspect that will prove to be true. I suspect we'll find different galvanic skin responses all kinds of biometric measures will probably be available. What is interesting is going to be 
distinguishing what Ken Wilber might call the pre-trans fallacy, you know, pre-rational mm-hmm. and trans-rational are not yes. the same thing. And yes. one of the, I, I read voraciously, and I love to read neuroscience data around, yes. especially around empathy. And there's mm-hmm. been some interesting research that I've been reading around the startle response and how certain Tibetan monks who have long-time practice of compassion meditation have essentially eliminated their startle response. So if Mm. they're advised, you know, we're doing this experiment, and at some random moment you're going to hear a gunfire, you know, we want to measure your biometric response to the gunshot, and they'll go into deep meditation, and their bodies show no reaction. They are the only humans other than psychopaths who show no startle response. And the psychopaths actually show a slight startle response. Now, one could make the mistake of saying, ah, Tibetan monks are just like psychopaths. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to have to be really careful how we do these biometrics because obviously the end result of compassion meditation is a very different experience of yes. interacting with that human being than interacting with a psychopath who has a broken empathy circuit. Right, right. You know? so Entirely, right. It's a very different thing. Very so I, I think it's a fascinating yeah. field, but we'll have to be very yes. careful how we research it. Yes, exactly. No, I, I appreciate the point. I mean, the, the whole relationship of uh, psychosis um, to brilliance or... Mm-hmm. Autism and intelligence as well, and genius yes. is something that's curious to everybody. You know? Yes. And uh, there are these interesting relationships between things that we hold in polarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think that what you are doing is very far from that, and while it may be interesting to get biometric measurement uh, at some time down the road, I feel that you are uh, providing a kind of a bricks and mortar kind of um, development. Boots on the ground. Could, what do I do now? What is the right. practice that How will make can a we difference? Build, ultimately, mm-hmm. build a society that works for everyone. That um, is my hope. From the from the synchronized, harmonized heart and mind with body. By the way, yes. <laughs> don't leave the body out. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah, yeah no. we need to embody so that we can act with love. That's why the word behave is important in the definition, the ability to behave with wisdom and compassion, yeah. not just feel it, but to behave Correct. with wisdom and compassion so Absolutely. that we we don't get into this place that some of the spiritual work does, I think, where we're just trying to get out of here. We're trying to ascend yeah, right. into nirvana. <laughs> Escapist syndrome, the yeah. Shangri-La syndrome, exactly. Bring heaven on earth, everyone. Please, please, please. This is yeah, what it was let's embody it here. Embody it. Exactly. Yeah. We are speaking with Cindy Wigglesworth, the author of SQ21, The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence. You are listening to Mitchell Rabin on A Better World Radio. We're on every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure to visit us at our website, www.abetterworld.tv. We also have a weekly television show aired here in downtown Manhattan, so Tune into that there, or if you're not in Manhattan, I believe some people are not, then certainly you can tune in online through our website, betterworld.tv. So, Cindy, let us continue with this. What has been the response to 
your uh, measuring tools, SQ21, when you've brought it into the business world? My approach whenever I bring this topic into business, unless I've been explicitly invited in to talk about spiritual intelligence, which I sometimes am, is mm-hmm. generally to bring a multiple intelligence approach, which is to say you need at least these four intelligences to succeed in your profession, IQ, EQ, emotional intelligence, physical intelligence, PQ, and spiritual intelligence, and you'll need them in different ratios depending on the demands of your job. The more stressful and complex your job, the more important the SQ part is going to be. So if your life is stressful, if you have a lot of high drama people around you, (laughs) then this Uh stuff becomes really important. In fact, sometimes the uh, shorthand, the elevator speech I'll give when someone says to me, well, why would I care about this stuff in the workplace? I'll say, do you have any drama in your workplace? And usually the (laughs) eyes roll and go, oh, my God, yes. And then I'll say, well, what percentage of your day do you think is being lost to unproductive use because of drama? Like what percentage is going to drama? And the lowest number I've ever gotten is 10%. The typical is more like 25, 30% of the day is being lost to unnecessary drama and conflict between people. And then I say, well, the whole key with this ego to higher self shift is to get out of the drama. So if you would like less drama in your workplace, this EQ-SQ combination is going to be really key. I did a pilot with this at MD Anderson Cancer Center here in Houston, which is in the United States, the number one cancer center typically ranked by uh, U.S. News and World Report. And in Young that, Sloan Kettering? Yeah, they fight with Sloan Kettering, but I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're currently number one. We'll see on the next next ranking. It's curious, fighting like uh, that causes cancer. There you go. <laughs> I, I don't mind them competing to eliminate cancer. I'm really happy sure. that they would compete exactly. on that one. <laughs> I'm playing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I did a EQSQ intervention with an in in the hospital 24-hour operation group of folks, and the manager over that group said the golden gift of that intervention was the language around ego self and higher self. Because they found a way to, it's like a one step back from making, you're not making anybody wrong, because guess what, everybody's got an ego self, and everybody's got a higher self. So when my ego's activated, it's not that I am a bad person, it's that I'm having an ego moment. And they (laughs) learned to look at each other differently. Instead of, ah, you know, that so-and-so, he's so difficult, it's like, okay, you know, Tom or John or whoever is having an ego moment, how can we help him come back into his higher self? And and so the coping changed. Very, It became not us, me versus you. It became we collectively have decided, and they set their own goals for the kinds of behaviors they wanted to demonstrate in the workplace. We have collectively decided how we want to show up with each other. How can we help that happen? And not make it about any one person being wrong or right. We are all sometimes egoic. We are all sometimes petty. How do we shift? And we built skills to help each other and to help ourselves shift from ego to higher self. And the collective attitude improved markedly in just a nine-month period. One of the signs I find in organizational health is that when a team or a department gets really healthy, 
anybody who is really addicted to drama will self-select out. Mm. And so we found a couple of people asking for transfers at the end of that because (laughs) it was clear that they were on the out of the cultural norm now, the trouble-stirring, high drama, we we have to have a fight every day to feel good about ourselves. And I think for many people it's like better than coffee. If you can't have coffee, have a conflict. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I (laughs) so appreciate your saying this. It's so important, right? So what you did is you changed the cultural norm. You changed the temperature of what's hot and racy to a sense of empathy and understanding from me versus you. You changed the consensus reality, if you will, of the group. Exactly, and because they are so wonderful with patient care there, they wanted to have the same level of other care, employee-to-employee care, that they offer to their patients. And I think Mm. it's a beautiful goal. It's a goal I'd love to see in every workplace. Wouldn't we like to show up in a workplace where we demonstrate that level of care and and receive that? Exactly. And, you know, the good news is that there are precedents for this, actually all over the world, and I do think that they are increasing with the notions of um, conscious business and yeah. of teamwork, and, and we also have antecedents in the sports world, for instance, or, or any kind of group activity, theater, mm-hmm. dance troops, where, of course, they are known for their uh, ego, mm-hmm. but, but in order to actually make the thing work, Everyone must come to some level playing field. Of right, and there has to be a higher purpose, which in a performance, it's the delivery exactly. of the show. In exactly. a business, it's the delivery of a product or service. What is wonderful about the conscious capitalism movement is, well, there's several things, but one of them is the stakeholder model, where yes. all stakeholders have to experience a win, and it's not a compromise. We're not looking for everybody's equally disgruntled, and therefore we've got a stakeholder model. <laughs> you know? yes. We want right. everyone to be right. delighted. It's the opposite. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We have to move into a state of life-affirming yeah. and, yes, and be exactly. you know, coordinated there, not on the other side of that ledger, right? Yes, exactly. and so as opposed to squeezing yeah. your vendors to get every possible dime out of the supply chain, Ending yeah. up with vendors on the verge of bankruptcy, unstable yeah. processes, quality control issues, and fires in Pakistan killing hundreds of people yeah. in a factory, you know, Bangladesh, fire. Bangladesh, right. Yeah, or Bangladesh. Um, yeah. You Very Instead, true. you have a genuine partnership with your vendors because the success of the vendors is part of the success of it's the whole. Interdependent. Inter- yes. You know... For I don't know, it just all seems so simple to me. I don't know, it just it's so simple. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, reality tends to evade simplicity for drama, I guess, you know. Well, it's a stage of development thing, which is one of the things is. I appreciate about Ken Wilbur Ken's is work, that he sure. brings us back into that conversation again and again in a kind way. So it's That's not right. about you know, the way we used to do things was intentionally evil. The way we used to do things was the best we understood at that level That's of development. Right. That's right. That level, but, yes. 
but we have more available to us now. We can grow up. And so this yep. growing up and loving in a responsible way is probably the hardest work of being a human being. Yes, I totally agree. I'd like to bring up um, a question uh, that involves the role of anger in a spiritually evolved, matured, intelligent person. Mm -hmm. Now, there is an automatic assumption that anger is a feeling, sensation, emotion that Mm -hmm. arises under certain circumstances in a person's life, and they either act on that uh, angrily, you know, what we call angrily, or in another way. I'd like to kind of explore that with you a little bit, and also just to bring forward as a beginning, Cindy, um, a story I heard about Baba Muktananda, known as one of the great spiritual leaders from India over the past, well, 20th century, I should say, Mm -hmm. and um, of him throwing objects at people when he would get angry. Yes. Yet, touching people with uh, his finger and giving them an enlightenment experience and um, awakening their kundalini like few other people were able to. So, um, what is, in your view, the role of anger in and other types of emotions like that, but especially anger? Yeah, anger is particularly place. difficult. Yes. Yeah. So, in so the first, place let me say that most say, uh, maturity context. Yeah. Right. So, I, I think it's important to point out that most teachers and saints are imperfect. And sometimes I'll get into this conversation with people about how, well, you know, I don't really have any spiritual exemplars because I don't care who you name, they're all imperfect. You know, the Dalai Lama is sexist. Gandhi didn't treat his wife well, you know. And so the list will come up, and I don't know these people personally, so, you know, I can't say. But I'd be shocked if it weren't true that you could kind of pick your teacher or saint and find imperfections. So Even the Buddha and, you know. And yeah. look at what Jesus did to the money changers, you know. Or well, and people has. will often use the Jesus overturning the tables as an example of boundary setting. And is that healthy or is that not healthy? You know, assuming yeah. that incident happened the way it's reported. You know, we That's have right. an oral tradition in Christianity for many years, so we're not sure right. how much is accurate. But assuming right. that happened, you know, is that a bad thing? So I right. would say... You know, Yoda is a great role model for me. As a, he's maybe a fictional <laughs> character, but it, what a great uh, sort of embodiment of spiritual teachings. He's also a kick-ass warrior. Yeah. So it's like, how do you reconcile that? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and the, the teachings, you know, from Star Wars are that you do not fight from anger, but you can mm-hmm. fight from love. And so what's the distinction that is useful for me? Okay, that's all fine in theory, but what's useful for me? Who is getting angry and why am I getting angry, I think are questions that are instructive. So if it's my ego that's angry because it is interpreting something as an attack and it's wanting to defend itself, that's probably not the best kind of anger. Because I'm probably misinterpreting the situation and I'm probably going to do or say something that my higher self would not be real proud of. Yes. However, you come after my kids or my grandkids and watch out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm uh-huh. not going to feel too guilty about it. <laughs> yes. You know? 
And is that sort of the instructive moment of there is a place, a proper place for boundary setting, and it can be ferocious, and it can look like anger, but it doesn't have to come from hate. And so I think these are not answers as much as questions. I can tell when I'm angry from an unhealthy place. I'm not sure I can always answer the question of how do we set boundaries with ferocity, you know, sort of the fierce compassion model, Mm -hmm. in a way that's deeply motivated from love. And can we ever know that we're actually motivated from love or are we self-deluding? And I think that's a question we just each have to hold. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, in the case of the children and the grandchildren and the family nest, let's just call it, Mm -hmm. um, maybe... It's a biological protectionism, a biological instinct that doesn't have an emotion whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It might be void of emotion at that moment. That fight-and-flight mechanism of the reptilian brain is in full force. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't actually have time. If you think about it kind of biologically, there's no time or space or energy for digestion or Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. uh, nursing an emotion. Right. You are there to protect or get out of harm's way. Yes. However it's yes. perceived, you know. Yes. Yeah. So I think no, it's, it's, a good it's a delicate issue. When you're dealing with clients and others, I mean, how do you uh address this? Well, I treat anger as information. So if you're feeling angry, there is a threat. Assuming you've got time to exercise some thinking around it and reflection around it. What is the perceived threat that is causing you to be angry? If you can quickly disassemble that threat and notice, ah, this is my usual egoic reaction, I'm having the same old trigger with the same old thoughts, then you probably don't want to act on that. Mm-hmm. But if as you're teasing this apart, you're realizing that some profound injustice is occurring, there is a yeah. genocide taking place, there is child enslavement taking place there is something profoundly wrong and it's time to turn over the temple money changers tables you know that a self-righteous yoda slash jesus moment is called for then you have to take on the karma of that and say you know from my best judgment as best i can see this i have to take a stand on this it's going to look like anger and rage to some people but to me it feels like it's motivated from something higher. I could be self-deluding. I could be full of it. But this is my commitment, and I'll suffer the karma of it. Yes, exactly, exactly. There is something about life on planet Earth, Cindy, that uh, makes sure that uh, no one of us is wholly perfected. <laughs> People always have these burning questions and what's the difference yes. between that anger that you just described and what we refer to also as righteous indignation and how mm-hmm. far do we go that with that when we think about the world of uh, mm-hmm. of slavery, of child labor practices, of human right. trafficking, of warring, of mm-hmm. of violence taking place etc cetera, etc cetera. I think know. one of the keys is is can I roll reverse with the offender before I set the boundary so the yeah. person who I think is engaging in let's just pick something horrific child sex trafficking yes can I imagine a situation where I was the sex trafficker yeah. what would have to have happened to me 
in my life? What would be going on with my brain in terms of, yep. like, do I have biological deficits? Do I have hormonal deficits? Do I have child abuse stories? Was yes. I myself trafficked? You know, right. often the offended become exactly. the offenders. Um, you know, and until I can get to that place where I can say, I understand if my life were this person's life, I too might think that what I'm doing is okay and normal, mm-hmm. so that I'm not coming from dehumanizing the other. I've actually humanized all of the others, and Very it's much. still wrong, and it has to be stopped, and I will stop you with tremendous ferocity right now, and I have compassion for whatever brought you to the place where you think this is a good idea. Beautifully put. Uh-huh. I'll stop you with ferocity, and then we'll talk. Okay, yes, exactly. <laughs> and then I'll get you some therapy, and we'll all pray that we can exactly. get you fixed. But well, the truth the of it is, long conversation. <laughs> yeah, but you know, some exactly. people are not fixable. Some people are broken. And yeah, you know, yeah, we have to also be realistic about that. That's right. That's right. Exactly. We're all here for some kind of interesting, curious collective karma, and we're all mm-hmm. playing it out in our mm-hmm. ways, our unique ways, for sure. Indeed. You know, no, I very much appreciate the work you're doing and uh, what you're what you're bringing forward. I think it has a lot of value. I want to ask, um, in my reviewing the book, um, mm-hmm. I want to know. I, I and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I didn't see much. Uh, regarding the role of humor in the spiritually intelligent man or woman? it's uh, In some of the higher-level questions, it shows up. Um, it, ultimately, the best thing we can do is learn to laugh at ourselves. It's yeah. part of holding our own worldview lightly. When we yeah. hold our worldview with great intensity, you get this self-righteousness where I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Mm-hmm. As we develop mentally, go through stages of higher development, we realize every perspective is inherently flawed, mine included. And, you know, one of my little reminders to myself is, I'm full of it. I'm just not sure in what way right now. <laughs> and, and hopefully with a diminishing percentage over time of garbage in between my ears, but there right. will always be some percentage of it in between my ears. So, you know, can yeah. I laugh at myself? Because God would be laughing at me, just going, exactly. oh, and that's so sweet. She's like this little lost toddler who thinks it's so important that whatever she's doing, you know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You got it. You got it. I, I have defined God. And, uh, yes, I was born Jewish. So I do define God as a Jewish comedian doing the borscht belt. And he is looking at us and saying, oh, my God, am I going to fix your wagon, Bob? Try this on for size, will you? You I'm convinced of this. No one can get me off of this interpretation. Yes, that's actually one of the skills I use myself and teach a lot is the zooming out, you know. And what you've just done is shifted perspective for us where we're – Looking at ourselves through the lens of a Jewish comedian, which I think is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And what if we were looking at at the lens through? You know, look look at it as a Martian comedian, like oh, those Earth people, you know, or whatever. Exactly. Oh, I I I so appreciate that. I one of the things I do is uh, as a therapist is something called therapeutic theater, Mm -hmm. and it's a kind of cast 
in a fun way to step into other people's shoes and experience the world from their point of view so we can have a better conversation, you Mm -hmm. know, and a more meaningful and purposeful one as well and understand other people's intentions and motives for why they do the things they do. No, and it's it's wisdom building and compassion building, and it's such a crucial part of the exercises that are in my book and in the stuff I teach. Right, right, right. I think it's so important. And one of the things, I just to circle back to what you were saying so, so beautifully about the putting yourself in the shoes of the human uh, child trafficker, mm-hmm. uh, difficult as that may feel to do, mm-hmm. um, it's see uh, others in self. Always see mm-hmm. others in self, which is that mm-hmm. old... Buddhist idea and Christian idea, you'll find it everywhere mm-hmm. in the wisdom traditions. But if I can see that everyone is actually a reflection of myself. Now, I know this sounds very high-minded and ideal and all of that, and it is. It is. That's it is. The, and, it's true. You know, it really my, is. My but sort of practical – go ahead. That's right. Yeah. Looking at it practically, you know what? Yeah. Maybe – let's even say – it isn't true, but we're going to take it on as a model, as right. though it were true, and mm-hmm. live from that place so I can actually relate to this person Yes, and be and of, some, of some help, some service. Exactly. My hypothesis is if any human being can do it, all of us could do it if we had yeah. the right biology, the right abuse history, the right mental health or whatever issues going exactly. on in our lives, the right cultural situation – so, you know, we're all Hitler and we're all Mother Teresa and we're everything in between. And thank God we didn't have the childhood or the biology that created a Hitler. But had we, we might have thought that we were saving Germany the way he thought he was saving Germany. That's thank, right. Thank That's God right. most of us don't have those kind of mental health issues. But That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. And uh, well put. And the notion of uh, zooming out to see one's own viewpoints in a larger context is one of the healthiest things I think we can do as humans. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Historical, yeah. context, etc. Right. Exactly. Historical as well as, you know, horizontal and where we mm-hmm. are now and Mm-hmm. listening to our peers and people who disagree with us mm-hmm. you know, to get that kind of uh that that's the value of of conflict if you will or certainly disagreement that's Ken Wilber has a saying I love to quote he goes it's impossible for any human being to be smart enough to be 100% wrong Which means that even that person I can't stand has at least 1% of something going on there that's true. (laughs) And then the challenge to me is to just acknowledge there might be a truth there that I don't want to see, you know? Yeah, right, 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 right. We're we're heading out of time, sadly enough, but I would like you to uh, just share with the audience any last thoughts that you would like us all to know about your work and uh, uh, the entire inquiry of spiritual intelligence that maybe we didn't touch upon during uh, the bulk of the show. Sure. Essentially, what I'd like people to know is that this is very practical. There's nothing spooky or scary about it. This is very cognitive behavioral therapy compatible. 
It's about learning better skills, new ways of doing things. And the book, in addition to outlining what is emotional intelligence, what is spiritual intelligence, lays out a nine-step process that I teach in my workshops that enables you to start building spiritual muscle right away to begin shifting from ego self to higher self. So this doesn't have to be an expensive process. The book is inexpensive. You can start with that. And then the assessment is available through deepchange.com if you want to go further with it. But a lot of value can come from just the nine-step process and the four-step shortcut that's in the book. Mm, Wonderful. Well, Cindy Wigglesworth, I so appreciate your wiggling your way over to spiritual (laughs) development. I really do. Thank you. (laughs) It's really good work. It's great what you're doing in the world, too, Mitchell. Thank you for all the fabulous interviews you bring to people. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure, Cindy. It's my Mm -hmm. pleasure. It's, uh, you know, how we feel called. Yes, indeed. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Well, wonderful. Thank you, Cindy, again. And the book is SQ21, The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence. That is available. Actually, we have it, uh, we'll have it on our website for people to get after they listen to the show as well. Fabulous. And Thank share you. share with their friends. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Sure. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. What, what enriching conversation about something so important as our human development, who we are, what we are, and where we're going. And uh, to actually bring a tool of measurement into that space is uh, is really the gift that Sydney is bringing forward, as well as just a lot of smart thinking around the subject of human development and what is possible. So again, this is Mitchell J. Rabin. I'm so glad you're joining us again. I so appreciate your involvement in listening. Listening is an act of love, and I want you to know that I realize that, and I so appreciate your participation. If you do not receive our newsletter at abetterworld.tv, just go there and click on Newsletter and sign up and become part of a Better World community. It's a family. And we have this show every Wednesday, and I'm looking to uh, develop a few more, actually, on more specific subjects. And the television show, A Better World TV, every Tuesday night, and that may be changed soon, too. But right now, Tuesday nights at 10.30 p.m., join us. Thank you again for joining us. This is Mitchell J. Rabin, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.